Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening whenever you choose to listen to this podcast. This is the first episode of The 34 Show, and I will be your host, Riley Gray. I have a great episode for you all. It's a great interview I recorded yesterday with a European golf pro and a buddy of mine, Craig Steferak. We spent about 30 minutes talking everything golf-related and mixed in some of his early Leafs thoughts as well. Following the interview, I'll be going over some of my early season takeaways of the Raptors and Maple Leafs. And to finish it off, I'm going to be touching on my Super Bowl dilemma I have in front of me before the big game on Sunday. Before I send it over to Craig, I just wanted to touch on a few things about this podcast. I will be uploading an episode every Monday and Friday during the week at roughly 2 p.m. Eastern. I plan on having a guest joining me for an interview every episode and talking about the sport they play or work in. I think now's a good time to send it over to the Craig interview. It's a great 30-minute conversation, so enjoy. All right, and we are back, and I have a special guest for the podcast today, former Caledonia Thunder minor hockey league teammate, European golf pro, and current course record holder at Mont Hill Golf and Country Club with 14 under, shooting a 57, which is insane, by the way. Uh, welcome welcome to the podcast, Craig Stefrak. How, how are things going, dude? Hey, man, glad to, glad to be on, uh, glad to help out uh, any way I can, and, uh, you know, things are going as... Uh... As well as they can during uh, the pandemic, obviously, uh, you know, uh, I wish I'd be, uh, I wish I was over in Europe right now, uh, playing some golf, playing in some tournaments, but uh, we're all, uh, we're all kind of stuck at home right now. So, uh, you know, training a ton, uh, getting ready for when uh, everything opens back up and, uh, you know, trying, uh, trying my best to, to stay in shape and, and get better. It's actually, it's given me a lot of time to uh, actually uh, change a lot of things and uh, hopefully that, uh, uh, 57 is a hell of a mark, but uh, hopefully uh, when everything opens back up there, uh, before I go over to Europe, I get a chance to uh, go and try and break that too. Yeah, no, that's dope. Uh, yeah, I was just going to start off with that. It's like 14 under 57. I mean, take me through the round and like, when did you start kind of realizing that you, you could go for the record there? So uh, It was pretty incredible. It, it was a stretch of golf uh, last summer that, uh, you know, the swing was feeling great. I was putting really well. Um you know, I think golf is a lot of, it's a lot of confidence, right? Obviously I, I, I had a good, uh, obviously it's, I've been in it, uh, since I was a, you know, since a young kid there, but, uh, it was my first year as turning professional. You get that original kind of yeah. shot of adrenaline, that shot of confidence, like, yeah, I'm a professional now, here we go. And I started playing really good golf. And I remember I was playing with uh, a couple of guys that work out of the golf course there. And, um, I started on the uh, the red nine out at Mont Hill. Uh, I started off uh, birdie, birdie, eagle. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, you're four under through three holes. And, um, you know, I'd been playing so well. Um, I was working really on the mental side of the game at that point to, you know, you don't really think about where you are. You're trying to think of just after you make a birdie or you, an eagle or whatever that is. Um, let's go to the next hole. Let's make another birdie. Who cares where we stand, right? We can't yeah. control the past. We can only control the future. So all of a sudden, um, actually, so I shot 29 on the front nine, uh, 700 par uh, on the red and um, blue for what our rotation that day was obviously we were going to go from the red to the gold course. And um, actually, this was I had worked uh, in the morning. So <laughs> I was, uh, I was getting, I was pretty tired after nine holes. I was thinking, ah, you know, I, I might, you know, might see you guys later. I've shot 29, plenty of times out there type of thing. And yeah. um, I'll, I'll, I'll head out of here. Um, well, the guys I was playing with, one of them, uh, um, 
said, you, you, you can't, how, you know, you just shot 29. How can you leave? You know, just play with us, you know, see where you can shoot. You know, uh, we, they, they'd never seen anything like that before. And, you know, I thought, okay, might as well, um, you know, keep going. What's the worst that can happen? Well, of course, the, I start off the back nine and I start off eagle, birdie, birdie, birdie. All of a sudden, you know, it's, uh, we're getting to pretty uncharted territory here. Um, the nerves start coming at that point because now you're 10, 11, 12 under par. Um, but I, thankfully, I was able to, you know, keep it, uh, keep it under control. I think I hit one bad shot all day. I hit one bad shot on uh, gold seven, a par three down the hill. I, I thinned one over the green and uh, the guy I was playing with actually looked at me and he said, oh, you're going to start choking now. And that actually, that actually kind of lightened the mood a little bit there because we all yeah. laughed and, you know, uh, um, and I was able to get that up and down from over the green for, for par. And, uh, I mean, 57, I mean, uh, it was, it was incredible. Who, who knows if I ever shoot something like that, that, uh, that again, to be honest, th that's one of those once in a lifetime rounds that, um, you know, you remember for the rest of your life. But, uh, the, the crazy part about that is shooting 57 last year. I think during the summer, the work I've done since then. Uh, I was half the golfer that I am now, and uh, we're all, the, the sky's the limit, really, right now. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Um, so you kind of touched on this earlier. Um, what is the pandemic giving you, like different types of ways to train when you you usually wouldn't on a normal year or normal off season? What have you been able to do differently that can elevate your game to the next level? So luckily, so I've had a lot of ideas for my golf swing um, as. Uh, the years have progressed and, and obviously more technology comes out, uh, including the launch monitor TrackMan, which I was lucky enough to acquire through uh, a sponsorship, oh, okay. which is awesome. So what, it did, what, what this time has given me was because golf is such a, it's a mechanical game. It's a very um, making a different move and changing the way our brain works. Um, is very hard to do in a short span of time. So what this time has allowed me to do um, is to get on track, man, and work really hard on adjust and changing my golf swing over a prolonged period of time where when you're playing during the season, you can't really go through a big swing change because obviously yeah. if you're going through a big swing change, all of a sudden now you're missing cuts, now you're losing money. And, you know, you're, uh, you're going to be losing a lot of confidence. Now, what it gave me, it gave me the time to really, you got work, you, it gives you that time to get worse before you get better, essentially, right? Change things that I've always wanted to change, but didn't have the time to change because of the competitive season being all, all year long. So now it's given me these months um, to change the golf swing um, drastically and make it a lot more efficient and a lot more consistent in the long run. And um, uh, yeah, so for, for example, um, there's a, um, a system that we use with TrackMan called the, com it's the combine test. Okay. Um, and essentially what it does is it rates your ball striking on a percentile scale. So into this year, I was in, um, uh, my best score was an 84, which is about a plus four to plus five golfer under, under zero, obviously, which is very, very good. It's professional standard. Um, thankfully now due to the COVID-19 pandemic, I was able to use this time to change my swing, make it more efficient, more consistent. And, 
recently, two weeks ago, I scored a 90.8, which is the 17th best score um, all time recorded on TrackMan. Now, this is with all pros dating back to um, the um, mid-2000s, uh, late 2000s. So uh, that puts me ahead of uh, plenty of guys that are in the top 50 in the world rankings. Uh, so once this, uh, once COVID-19 is gone uh, and we can all kind of get back to a little bit of normality, um, I'm, I'm really expecting me to uh, make a big jump and then hopefully, uh, you know, start winning some tournaments on a uh, global scale. Yeah, no, man, that's amazing. I've been seeing your videos on Instagram. You just hammer the ball. I mean, it's, it's nuts. Uh, so like be, being on tour in Europe and playing all these different kind of courses and such, uh, it, it's gotta be like a very different game over there compared to here. Was there like an adjustment period for you for like the first few events in Europe that you had? Yeah, absolutely. The first cut. So, <laughs> so it, it, it's crazy. The first couple of events I played as a professional were actually in uh, Morocco in, oh, uh, in okay. Africa. So all of a sudden, you know, you're a small town kid from Caledonia, Ontario, you know, um, you know, you, I've obviously I've traveled, uh, I was in the States down in Missouri on a golf scholarship. I've, I've been over to Europe because my mom being from England, I was lucky enough to go over and play, uh, in Ireland, England, uh, um, quite a few times, but now you're, you know, you're by yourself. You, you, you don't have your family with you. You don't have your friends with you. And you're in Africa. You're in a foreign <laughs> land. You've never been there before. You know, it's crazy that the language is different. There's a language barrier. I think that was, that was a huge adjustment just in itself is it's like, you know, this is like the transition from almost like college and junior golf where it's almost kind of like a team game because you have you have your people with you at all times. You've got your caddy. You've got all these things uh, going for you. And now it's like, you know, trial by fire. We're throwing you into a professional setting in a faraway land. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, the, the first few events I came out, I was, I was nervous. I didn't play well. I missed my, uh, I, just, I missed my first couple of cuts in a row uh, coming off the winter break. And then it's it, that learning. You start to learn things. You start to see guys that have been there. Uh, what they're doing, how much they're practicing, how much uh, you need to, uh, where your game needs to improve compared to theirs. Um, and there's that initial, there's that initial kind of, um, yeah, learning, learning for sure. I mean, uh, it was, a, it was a huge change. Uh, and uh, thankfully by the end of the year, I, I actually, so after I missed my first couple of cuts, you know, it's pretty, it's demoralizing. You're, 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 you're paying money essentially to travel to Africa, you know, on sponsorship dollars to go and perform, to win mm -hmm. tournaments and you're missing the cut. And it, uh, it hurt, it hurt a lot. But then, uh, once you get past that initial nervousness, uh, I didn't miss a, I didn't miss a cut. It wasn't even really close to missing a cut past February. Um, so that was good. It was just that initial, get the nerves out of the way. And, uh, now the sky's the limit. We're ready to go and ready to rock. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, so like with all the different countries and cities and courses you played out, do you, do you have a favorite kind of course or country that you've played in to, to, so, the, to the state? Yeah. So my, my favorite, my favorite over there. So that actually, so country wise, country wise, actually where I was, uh, I played in the, uh, I played in the Polish open uh, this year and um, Poland is an incredible, and who would have thought, Poland about when you say Poland you think you don't think oh that's a place that I really want to go right up yeah you know, exactly middle block country in the in in the EU like really why would I go there but it was 
it was absolutely incredible. The people were incredible. The people were so nice, welcoming. Uh, the beer was incredible. The beer was amazing. They're, they're known for their Polish beer and the golf course was, the golf course was amazing. I mean, the, uh, um, it's a very, um, it's like playing in Northern Ontario with a lot of, um, a lot of trees, a lot of kind of like that boreal forest type of, uh, yeah, atmosphere, yeah. right. Very narrow. Um, and it just, it really worked out for, for my game, um, to be in that, um, now country wise, um, golf course wise, it was Starnberg. Starnberg was the, um, best in Germany. That, uh, that was like an Augusta national of, uh, of the, of the German country. It was crazy. The, the greens were stimping at like 13 on the stimp meter. Um, the fairways were like carpet. Um, it was a beautifully manicured golf course. The Germans know they're very meticulous people, as we all know, and uh, they uh, they do it uh, they do it right in their country with a lot of things. Yeah, they're, uh, it was a pretty incredible country. But everywhere I went uh, over there, including um, probably uh, what was another one? The Czech Republic, Prague. What a what an amazing place! What an amazing place! Europe is. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been an it's been a hell of an experience so far. Um, and this was during a COVID-19 pandemic where we only got to play 10 events out of a 25 event schedule. Oh, yeah. So, um, we actually missed out on a whole ton of playing time, but I'm looking forward to, uh, getting back over there and playing a full season and, uh, getting some W's this time. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely awesome. A lot, a lot to look forward to. Uh, when you kind of look at the PGA tour today and a player that kind of, comes to my mind and a lot of people's mind who's been getting some heat is Bryson DeChambeau for his like ridiculous long drives and making certain courses rethink they, their placement of tee boxes. Do you think what he's doing with like the track man and all this swing technology and just getting absolutely jacked, do you think it's good for the game or is he just doing it for press at this point? Uh, I think, so I think there's a limit to what he can do. Um, but, uh, what he's doing for the game is incredible. Uh, honestly, what he's done now is the same thing on a little less scale than Tiger Woods. So when Tiger Woods came out, obviously Tiger Woods was the first kind of, uh, super dominant athlete that came into our sport. Um, and it made, it made the sport cool, right? It made the sport, um, now we've got guys like Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, who are athletes. Um, and they're trying to push the boundaries of golf. Now, Bryson now getting, getting to Bryson now, Bryson gaining this weight, getting on, putting on muscle. Um, this is just the same thing that happened, um, in plenty of other sports, the NBA, for example, um, the national hockey league, uh, the MLB, all these sports that as more money, um, becomes available to win in these purses, um, people are now studying how to make their scores better. And Bryson DeChambeau, the, the, the mad scientist, has, has figured out that um, driving distance um, and getting the ball as close to the green as possible um, with his drive gives him an opportunity, even if he's in the rough, with a shorter club in his hand, he has a better and higher percentage to get up and down than hitting the middle of the fairway and hitting a six iron in relation to where he's hitting a driver. Even if it's in the rough, now he has a wedge in his hand and can get it closer to the hole. Proximity to the hole is the biggest thing in golf, obviously, we know. And if he can get it closer to the hole than the guy with the six iron back in the middle of the fairway, 
he's going to make more birdies and he's going to shoot lower scores. And that's pretty, it's pretty simple what he's doing now. There's obviously a limit to what he can do and we're going to see if his body falls apart. Um, it's, it's toting that line. It's finding that, uh, that kind of middle ground um, where distance becomes um, too much and we lose accuracy. So we try and tote that line between distance and accuracy because obviously what's a 370 yard drive worth if it's out of bounds, right? Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. So just kind of staying along with the PGA tour. Um, I'm sure you saw it yesterday with Patrick Reed uh, doing his antics. Like he always does. Uh, what do you think of that guy? Do you think someone like that deserves to be on tour with all the, the shit he's done in the past? And then yesterday as well. Uh, should he be on tour? I mean, uh, I mean, we, we laugh and obviously that old line from happy Gilmore, you know, kick him off the tour, Doug um, comes to mind a lot with, especially with guys like me who, who play it, uh, play the game for a living. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he's not a popular guy in the locker room. He's not a popular guy with the fans. Um, he's toting the line. He's toting the line between um, staying on the tour and, and being kicked off. Uh, really. Um, what he did yesterday um, broke. Um, well, technically did not break rules on procedure. However, he did break a couple of rules in what he did um and just the integrity of the game. Obviously, yesterday, um, the rule is obviously if your ball's embedded, you know, you get to put a tee down, check if it's embedded, um, and then get a free drop if it is. Um, however, before even asking his, you know, playing partners to come over or a rules official to come over, he had already done the process. Um, and then by the time they come over and he's been poking around in there, of course, there's going to be a depression. He's been poking in there for five minutes before a rules officials got in there. So, I mean, it's just the integrity of the game. Um, I think, um, you know, without, uh, without saying it, you know, he's a, uh, he's a problem for the game right now. He's a problem and people like him, uh, you know, people like him are a big problem. Um, for the professional ranks, um, you have to protect the field. You have to protect the field. Everybody plays um, plays the same rules. That's uh, that's how you get a winner at the end of the week. That's how people make money in the professional ranks. And if he's leapfrogging people based on cheating the rules or uh, manipulating the rules, um, yeah, it's a it's a big problem. And uh, you know, without saying it, he, we we know he's a cheater all the way back to uh, his college days. Um, but, uh, the tour has to sit down with him and I don't know if fines have to be, uh, fines have to start accumulating or what, but he's, uh, he's toting the line between getting kicked off the tour and, uh, you know, staying. Yeah. And you got to yeah. think at some point, he's just kind of, kind of adapt to this like villain role that he takes on with the tour and he's just going to keep doing shit until he gets, you know, in trouble or something like that. Um, so I'm going to kind of switch gears here and go over to hockey. I know you're a big Leafs fan. Um, and with the expansion and the new divisions in the North division this year, do you think the Leafs got a legit shot at making a run? If so, how far and who, who do you think gets them there this year? Uh, so, I mean, being, I, I've, I've been a diehard Leafs fan since I was a kid. Um, you know, uh, I can't, uh, I, I don't miss, I, if the 82 game schedule, you know, I'll probably watch. 75 plus games you know yeah. obviously the west coast is uh is a tough one one of the games at 10 o'clock at night 10 30 uh but uh you know I, I try my best but um 
in my uh, not so expert opinion. Um, I just, I, I just don't sit with, with where we are today. And, uh, you know, m many people might, you know, disagree with me. I, I, I just don't, I think we're a, I think we're a regular season team. Um, I, I really, I like, I like our top, I like our top six, uh, forwards. Um, I don't think we've done enough on the defensive side. Freddie's a, Freddie's the man. Freddie's, uh, he's a, he's a great goaltender. He's going to keep us in a lot of hockey games. Um, but I think you've got a serious underlying issue when Morgan Riley is your number one defenseman. Um, I think, um, you know, we need to, uh, I was really excited this year when, um, what's his name? Uh, Alex Petrangelo was on the free agent market. Uh, the problem is uh, for Leaf fans everywhere, uh, we know that what we've done for the past 10 to 15 years, 20 years even, is we overpay players uh, constantly in the free agent market and um, also when re-signing players. So we've got uh, our captain, love him to death, John Tavares, who is kind of getting to that peak in his career, that ending peak before the decline. Um, we have until I think he's 36 years old at, you know, what is it, 11 million plus, 11 yeah, and a half. Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, the, the winning needs to start now. Because if the winning doesn't start now, we have guys like that who are locked into contracts um, for the long term um, who are just, I, I mean, John Tavares, I bet you within two years will not only be not, not an $11.5 million player, but I don't even think he'll be worth $6 million two years from now. So we, the winning needs to happen now in the next couple of years. I hope they can do it. I'm praying. I'm, I'm hoping that they can uh, come out and, and do something. Um, I think the North Division gives us a really good shot at actually going farther this year. Um, and that might sound crazy, but I think that in a North Division with a lot of teams that are in the same boat as us, obviously the Oilers have this sim a very similar problem. They're very top-heavy with not a lot of depth. Um, the Montreal Canadiens are just that pesky team with not a lot of studs that we can obviously take on. Um, Senators are obviously um, just a band of misfits right now. They're actually trending for the future. I like what they're doing in Ottawa, but it's they're not there yet. Um, and uh, we'll see how the Winnipeg uh, trade impacts them, obviously, getting uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, in uh, for line A there. I think that's a very interesting deal. Uh, something that uh, could play in Winnipeg's favor. I think Winnipeg could, uh, I think Winnipeg won that trade, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a, is a hell of a two-way hockey player. And that's kind of what I think Winnipeg needed. Um, and, uh, you know, line A has uh, proven that he has been, uh, you know, a little bit of much to handle in the locker room sometimes and uh, with that organization. So I think they won that trade, but uh, I do think the Leafs have a huge shot uh, this year and next year at uh, making a deeper run into the playoffs than usual. But um, we do have to deal with that uh, pesky Atlantic division with uh, teams like Boston, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh, uh, Washington, that always seem to, uh, you know, have our number. Um, so we'll see how it works. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, just looking at the game last night, you just you see McDavid split the D and then just take it right right on Freddie. I mean, it happens every year. I I, I don't know. Something has to change. Maybe trade deadline. Something. Uh, who knows? But uh, last question I got for you. I'm just gonna kind of fire off a couple of uh, 
players on tour and I want, I'm going to give you an over under and I want you to tell me if they're going to uh, be over that amount of tour wins this year or under, and just kind of your thought process. So obviously first we're going to go with the goat uh, tiger over under one tour win this year. Tiger woods. Uh, and that, that's a great one. That's a great one. I, um, I'm going to go over, I, I'm a, I'm a tiger woods fan. Um, you know, he's, um, He's obviously he's changed the game for us. He was uh, he's our hero. Looking up to him, uh, I still think he's got a year or two left in the tank. I know he's obviously coming off. Uh, he just had microscopic uh, back surgery there a couple weeks ago. He had to withdraw from the West Coast swing, um, but he's not done. He's um, he that that 2019 uh, Masters win, which was incredible. The incredible comeback, obviously, um, to win a major. Um, he contended, we, we forget a lot that in 2019 and 2020, he contended in PGA tour events quite a few times, um, and in majors. Um, do I think he'll win another PGA tour event? Uh, yes, I do. Do I think he will win another major? That's harder to say. I think he has the best chance at Augusta, obviously. And then the British open where it becomes so dry that he'll be able to keep up with the field and has a lot of experience, but, um, yeah, I'm going to go over with Tiger Woods in 2020, uh, 2021 and say he wins the tournament this year. Yeah, I, th I think I'm with you on that one. Anytime he gets a back surgery, he's coming back stronger. So you, you yeah. never know. Uh, all right, so the next one we got is Justin Thomas, over under three wins. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under. I, I, I uh, obviously the uh, the scandal, the scandal that hit him this year, and uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, um, whether we agree with what happened to him or not, uh, it's it's a tough mental space for him now to be in. You know, um, there's a lot of uncertainty over his head at all times. He's got a lot of eyes on him from sponsors, from fans. Um, he just um, he's the number three player in the world. He's incredible. Um, I've always thought that Justin Thomas is a 54 hole player though. Um, he seems to have a lot of 54 hole leads or near the lead. Um, and, um, you know, has proven, has proven that he does have a tough time closing out. Um, I think that this, um, this scandal could, uh, could add to that drama a little bit. Uh, not a lot of people like, there's not a lot of people that, uh, take in that villain role like Patrick Reed does. And I don't think, uh, I don't think Justin Thomas will adapt to that villain role as, as well. Um, so I'm going to say under on three wins this year. Yeah. I think I'm with you on that one too. I mean, you just bring that added pressure to yourself and like he, he, he's still young. He's got, he's got a lot of time, but I mean, I just, I don't see him. I don't see him winning too much this year. Uh, so the third player I'm going to say is uh, Dustin Johnson over under four wins on tour this year. That's a, that, that, see, that's a tough one. Well, four wins, four wins, obviously an incredible mark. Um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stay right on four wins. I'm going to stay right on four wins. I think Dustin Johnson is, um, especially after winning the masters last year, he's taken a little bit of time off the game now to, to kind of celebrate, stay with uh, family right now. Um, you know, doing whatever he's doing behind the scenes. I mean, we know he's a, uh, he's a hell of a character behind the scenes but uh he is um he's one of the hardest workers on tour he might um he might do it a little differently than a lot of guys um but the guys um the guy's knowledge of um the game and the sheer strength and uh will of dustin johnson to continue to win he uh he's got two majors now uh, i wouldn't be surprised if he finished his career with uh five six seven majors 
Um, and I think, uh, I think this year, yeah, I think 2021 is going to be a big year for Dustin Johnson. I do think that three, four wins is possible. So I'm going to go with the over. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think he's going to have sort of like a Tiger-esque year. He's just going to dominate all the tournaments he goes into. And I can see him getting over four, but I guess you never know with the competition it is today. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and then the last player, we already kind of touched on him, but uh, Bryson DeChambeau, over or under two wins on tour? Uh, so I, I, Bryson DeChambeau, with what he's doing with the game, I mean, he's um, he went into uh, – he went into uh, the U.S. Open last year, a golf course that uh, absolutely rips people apart. Um, you know, obviously, the last time the U.S. Open was there, um, the winner was Jeff Ogilvy at uh, plus five, I think it was, uh, when he beat Phil Mickelson back in the day, uh, back uh, a couple about a decade ago. But this is uh, this is a new Bryson. This is unbelievable to go into the U.S. Open like that and completely dominate. Obviously, there was a lot of pressure on him at the Masters. Um, I think he let it. I think he let that pressure take over him for a for a slight little bit there. I think he was playing really well, but but we forget that these guys are human too. You know, we're all professional golfers are human just like the rest, and uh, nerves do hit. So especially a guy coming off a um, incredible win at the U.S. Open, he uh, he choked at the Masters. He did choke because he had the, he was playing well and and he choked. He let the uh, the moment take over him. I think he's going to learn from that. And I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm going to go even further than what you've said. I'm going to say he wins four or five times this year, and I think that he wins a major. I, I really think that um, with uh, his putting stats last year being in the top ten in putting and his driving obviously being uh, number one, being incredible. I think uh, I think he's set, setting himself up for a for a massive year. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think I'm going to go with right on two. I, I think that sometimes in these big tournaments, he's just a mental head case. He's kind of like John Rahm in a sense. He just gets in his own head and just goes nuts. But I mean, if he if he kind of reels that in, I, I can definitely see him getting four or five this year. Um, yeah, uh, look, I, we, I really appreciate you coming on. This will be the first episode that I post. And uh, I, I really appreciate you answering the questions for me. And it's going to be going to be a great first episode and I wish you best of luck in the, uh, in the upcoming season in Europe. Thanks brother. Hey, great, great, to, great to be on. Uh, hopefully come back on there. Hopefully this thing grows and uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a good experience, buddy. Yeah. Thanks perfect. Yeah. Thanks. All right. See ya. Talk to you later. Talk to you later, man. Okay. And we are back and I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Craig I had a great time recording it yesterday and just going over some of his thoughts on golf, how he's doing in this pandemic, and just kind of his overall takeaways on some PGA Tour players and how he thinks they'll do in this upcoming season. Um, now we're going to touch on the Raptors. Good win yesterday against the pretty weak Magic team. I mean, um, the stat lines that really stood out to me for the Raptors were Siakam, obviously, 30 points, 10 boards, 3 assists on 12 of 23 shooting I mean that's 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 prime Siakam that's what we need every game if the Raptors are going to have a chance to do anything this year um and then the other stat line that stood out to me was Aaron Baines who I have zero faith in up until this game he puts up eight points 16 boards and one assist he's averaging on the year five points and five boards I mean you just need more out of your big man you can't be you can't be playing 29 minutes a night and having five boards and getting outworked on the offensive and defensive end. And then the last player, just an off night maybe, just Freddie, uh, nine points, five boards, two rebounds. I mean, early in the game, his mid-range was looking great. I mean, 
other than that, he really didn't show anything. But uh, I think it was just an all-around good win. I mean, I don't think it's anything to get excited about with them being on the outside looking in in terms of a playoff spot at the moment. And 20 games in, they don't have an easy schedule coming up either. I mean, they have they have the Magic again. And then after that, it's just there's there's not too many easy games. They got the Nets, the Hawks, Grizzlies, the Wizards, I guess, is an easy one. But knowing the Raptors, they'll find a way to lose that one then they have celtics timberwolves and then a two games against the bucks which it just doesn't get easy from here on out i mean they they kind of set themselves up to fail uh sitting at eight and twelve i guess we can see them being a 500 team and squeaking into that seven or eighth seed in the playoffs what i'd really like to see from them is just come trade deadline depending on their record if they're they're in and around a playoff spot See if they can work out some deals for just just a better center, someone who can have more of a presence down low and in the paint, getting rebounds, being more physical. Baines just hasn't been doing it for me lately. He just he's just in there. He doesn't look like a guy to me. And I think with a guy like Boucher off the bench, he's also not one of them those physical presences on the court. He just uh, he, he's just kind of a skinnier guy who's gonna get a lot of blocks and he's gonna get moved around in the paint pretty easily. I'd like him to go after a guy like like I've seen some trade rumors for Marvin Bagley. He, he's an, he's a big guy. He he can shoot the three. He's he's a finesse player in the paint. He, he's a bit bigger than Boucher, and I, I think he'll get more boards than uh, Aaron Baines would. And then another player I think that they should go after in the off season is Victor Oladipo. They 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 just don't have that guy who's gonna take that last shot, and it's out of his hands your confidence gonna go in when they had Kawhi Leonard on the team it was just night in and night out you knew that you had someone come crunch time was gonna get buckets for you and I just they just don't have that on their team right now Siakam just doesn't fill that void and frankly neither does Freddie and I don't think a 36 year old Kyle Lowry should be your number one option in crunch time now I'm gonna switch things over to the Toronto Maple Leafs the Leafs have been looking phenomenal throughout their first 10 games of the season, and they're sitting atop of the North Division. As we speak, they recently had two games against the Oilers. They split that. Um, I think they looked really good in in both games early. Um, the second period's been a real struggle for the Leafs as of late. They just haven't looked that that strong in the second period and to be honest in the second game their defense just got outworked they just let McDavid kind of walk through the middle on multiple occasions and they're just not really getting back and staying home and just playing defense when they need it most especially when they're up a goal or two in the second or third period I think a player that's really stood out in my mind has been Marner so far five goals nine assists it's 14 points in 10 games I mean that's great out of the kid he's He's in the top three for points in the entire league. I just think when him, Matthews, Tavares, and Nylander are all going to be firing on the same cylinders, it's going to be a scary team, even scarier than they are now. And I think Freddie has shown that he is that guy, and he is going to win this team games and kind of stand on his head when they need it. And I think if he can replicate that and bring it into the playoffs, I think I think the Leafs have a real shot at, at doing something this year, at least winning a few rounds in the North Division to make to be that team to make it out. One thing that does kind of scare me though with this team is when you look back at all the games they've had, six out of their 10 games have been one goal games. 
And when you think about it, this team isn't that good defensively. And when it comes down to it, they're, they're going to start losing these games. And they need to find a way to be up two or three goals and just put the game away. They've, they've been up multiple times with, with, uh, with a goal or with two goal leads, three goal leads. And they just they just always seem to let those slide and then make it a close game. I think if they really want to see progress and growth, they need to start building as a team later in games. I feel like the chemistry and they're maturing on a very good level and it's been an upward trajectory this entire time. I just think that later in games, they just need to buckle down and learn how to put it away before before the horn sounds in the third. Another player that I've been I've been really impressed with is uh, TJ Brody. He's been, he's been great on the back end. He's just that stay-at-home D-man, works really well with Morgan Riley. I think he lets him play to his potential, and he lets him go up and, and make that play through the neutral zone and hop up into the rush on a three-on-two or things like that with the forwards. And I think TJ is just that complimentary piece that can stay at home. He's not going to want to go for a skate. He's going to be that guy who is back there ready for the two-on-ones, things of that nature. I think it's a double-edged sword too with Morgan Riley. I feel like he needs to learn how to control himself and learn when to pinch and when to stay back. I think that's been a bit of a recurring theme in his career up until this point, just not knowing when to stay at home and not knowing when to go and hop up into the rush. It's just it's just little things I think this team needs to do to uh, to take themselves to that to that next level that they want to get to. They have a three game series coming up with the Canucks. I think this is a great test for them. The Canucks have have a pretty good offense. I feel like every team in the North Division has a pretty decent offense, and they lack you know that defensive mindset. We just saw it in the last two game series with the Oilers. It's just high flying, high intensity and just not too much defense being played, to be honest. But I think with this series, I think against the Canucks, I think they got to take two out of three at least. I mean, the Canucks do have a good goalie tandem, Holpe and, and Thatcher Demko. I mean, I think that with each game having a day rest in between, they should, uh, Freddie should definitely be starting two out of these three games. And then I think you give you give the net to Hutchison. Probably, probably on the Monday game, I think the Leafs need to go go in there and make a statement. They need to uh, they need to show show this team that they can play offense and defense. I think they need to go in there and show their offensive prowess, but also at the same time show that they can lock it down on the defensive end come crunch time. And the last thing I wanted to touch on before I sign off for the day on this first episode of the 34 show is my Super Bowl dilemma. I mean, uh, I got a problem on my hands. I- I'm in this playoff pool with my dad and a bunch of his buddies. I'm sitting top of the league right now, and if I pick the winner, I'm winning a cool, crisp 200 beans, and it's just, I have no idea who to pick. I mean, on one hand, you got Tom Brady, arguably the best quarterback to ever play, with a team that has been looking better and better each game they play. I saw a tweet from a player on the Bucks saying that they haven't even played their best football up to this point, which I believe it. I mean, each game they're getting better, they're beating a better team each time, and their defense is getting a hell of a lot better each game it's 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 kind of scary to bet against them at this point but then you on the other hand you have a team like the Kansas City Chiefs who are just loaded best QB in the league at this time Patrick Mahomes he's had two weeks to rest for rest his head rest his concussion he looked great last week I just think that both teams are are really really good I don't think Kansas City has much of a defense I think it's I think it's going to be 
a high scoring game but i think if the bucks can lock it down um i, I think i think kansas city's in trouble you're gonna have to rely a lot on mahomes which which they do throughout the year i think if he has one of his special games i don't think anyone can beat him but if there is a qb it'll be tom brady so uh yeah, I, I mean, I'd appreciate everyone's input on this one because uh, I'm still still sitting on the fence for either team. Tweet me, uh, DM me, message me on Facebook, all at The 34 Show. And tell me who you're going to go with, who you think I should take. I mean, I need all the help I can get at this point. Lastly, I cannot help but talk about Patrick Reed, the scumbag, wins the Farmers Insurance Open on Sunday and just... Another another controversy, another scandal from this guy. I mean, when is this going to stop? When's the PGA Tour going to step in and do something about this guy? He's constantly bending the rules, seeing how far he can go before he gets gets a penalty or gets caught by, by the tour. I mean, reading an article from the New York Post, it, it says that his rivals are not happy about another controversy, and I don't blame them. This guy, every event or every other event, he's in some sort of controversy, cheating scandal, which just doesn't help the game of golf. There's people out there who are grinding every day trying to make it to that level, who are seeing this guy cheat his way through winning tournaments and such. It, it's really tough to see. I mean, you hate looking at, at guys who are coming up on tour and just having to look at this guy win events by by cheating and having all these scandals to his name. And I, th- I think Patrick Reed thrives on this stuff. I mean, it seems like every every time he's in a controversy, he, he thrives with it and he, he pushes that boundary and on to the next one. It's getting to a point where it's got to stop. When you have guys like Victor Hovland and, and guys of that nature who are in contention at that tournament, then you see something like that. It, it, it's just got to irk you if you're on tour with this guy in the locker room. I mean, no one likes him to begin with and he's just, he's just not helping his cause out one bit. And that is going to do it for the first episode of The 34 Show. I really appreciate everyone tuning in and listening. I I can't wait to put out episodes every Monday and Friday interviewing different people in different sports. Um, It's going to be a great way to get people on who who maybe aren't in that top echelon of their pro career in sport, whether it be like a PGA Tour or, you know, uh, the NHL or things like that. But to start off, I want to interview just people I know and people that I've been a fan of for a while who are in that kind of early stages of their career and kind of watch them grow up and have them on the show multiple times and things like that and that's that's what I liked having Craig on giving us his insight into into what he does on a daily basis for the game of golf and what he thinks is good or bad for the game of golf as well so that's going to be it thank you for listening and I will see you Friday